Well, good morning again. Am I ever glad you're here today? <laughs> glad I'm here. We're continuing our teaching in Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 23. Jesus is going to change his teaching to teaching in parables. Remember, the, the nation has committed the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's the final rejection of Jesus. Now, Jesus will change his teaching from the multitudes to individuals and mostly to the disciples, training them for the upcoming mission that they will have to disseminate this word throughout the world. So if you would, stand for reading of God's word. We start in Matthew 13. This would be kind of a lengthy reading, 1 through 23, so get ready. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he, could, that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on the stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was, when, when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on the good ground and yielded the crops, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Whoever has, to him much will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for you see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When someone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. That is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, that is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. This is the word of God. Thank you, Father, for this word. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your inerrant, infallible word to make, guide us through life. You do light our paths. You do make our paths straight. You do help us to know how to live out this life as Christians in this world. Holy Spirit, I pray today that hearts here are prepared to receive what you have for them. I know that in any talk, Father, that you get the attention of each person hearing the word. 
And I pray that today they will hear that special word just for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Thank you. As you know, the, the, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And last week we talked about unclean spirits. And we talked about demon possession. And we talked about binding Satan. And we talked about spiritual warfare principles and that sort of thing. And we also talked about coming into the family of God. And it's required to be born again to come into the family of God. And once you've come into the family of God, then you have something that is amazingly special. You have an inheritance like you cannot believe. In Romans 8.16, we read this, because you are so special, watch what you have. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That is a technon, a technon in the Greek. It means a natural-born child with full rights and privileges of the original son. That's what that actually means. You, that you are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, that word heirs means that you are an inheritor. You inherit what Jesus has. John MacArthur puts it this way. Believers receive by divine grace what Jesus has by divine right. Now, isn't that just a stunning, amazing thing? Well, we have to look forward to. And then we talked about our amazing, indescribable, incomprehensible God that loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son just so that we could live with him forever in his family. Now, there's a transition in Jesus's teaching because he's been rejected. There's judicial hardening now that is being put on the nation of Israel. They're a blinded people group. At least they're partially blinded. We see in Romans chapter 11, there are still Jews being saved, but not a lot. But there's more recently as we get closer to the end. He's going to talk about parables, parables. Now, I want to go through some uh, definitions here in just a second, but Jesus will use parabolic language to hide the truth from the show watchers. Up to now, the multitudes were following him to see the next best thing that Jesus would do. Let's watch Jesus feed people. Let's watch Jesus do this. Let's watch Jesus cast out demons. Oh, he's going to heal a blind man today. This is entertaining for him. He made water into wine. Everybody's in to what Jesus is going to do, some miracle that he's going to do. Now, before we go any farther, I want to define the term parable for you. The word comes from para, which means alongside, balo, to cast or to throw. Putting it together, it's casting alongside. It's not straightforward speaking. The hearer, now listen to this, the hearer must strain to know what is being said. They must dig now, when you're doing your Bible study, you know that you must dig for the truth. We have the Holy Spirit helping us with this. Dig for, he illuminates the word to us, but we must dig for the truth. Jesus is looking for those who really want him for who he is, not for the performance or things they can, they can get out of him. Entertain us, Jesus. Now, I want you to think about something. It's the same thing today in our world. People will travel far and wide to go someplace to see the moving of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we had the Toronto blessing, and then we had the Pensacola outpouring. And people will travel and say, oh, the, the Holy Spirit's there. You should go down there. I'm thinking, the Holy Spirit's God. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is resident within me. I don't have to take a trip to see that whole thing. So the, the outpouring of the Spirit. People will go far and wide to be entertained. They'll be entertained in churches. 
They will go far and wide to hear a religious pep talk happens often. But look at you guys know the purpose of the church. At least 30% of you know the purpose of the church is to, number one is to glorify God. That is the purpose of the church. God is central, not the people. God is central. We worship God, okay? And remember that glorify is doxa, honor, esteem, hold up high. That is what glorifying God is. And then it's to edify the saints, build up the saints. What? To do the work of ministry. And then it's to evangelize the world. That's the third thing. That's the purpose of the church. You've nailed it right there. It's not a, it's not a comedy hour. It's not a pep talk. It is to prepare you for a kingdom that is coming. You're in prep school right now for a kingdom that we will be inhabiting, the messianic kingdom, the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Now, the number one thing I wanted you to get, what is a parable? Number two, what is a mystery? Mystery. So mysteries is mysterion. Sounds similar, doesn't it? Something not revealed in the Old Testament, but is revealed in the New Testament. There are six scriptures in the New Testament that describe different aspects of the mysteries that are revealed now that weren't revealed in the past. I'll give you one as an example. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. The mystery of Christ, which is in other generations, was not made known to the sons of men. People knew that there was someone coming. They didn't have full revelation of who Jesus was. And has it now been revealed by the Spirit to his Holy apostles and prophets. Now take a hard stop. You're Bible students. You know that in Ephesians chapter 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus being what? The chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. That's right. This is, and he goes on. The Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Fellow heirs. We are grafted into Israel. We inherit the blessings of Israel. Israel will come into the church. I mean, it's just going to be one body in the end. Now, mysteries, Arnold Fruchtenbaum describes it this way, are the secret things of God hidden from mankind and must be revealed by divine revelation. In verse 11, he says this, he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. Jesus wants people who really want to know to be enlightened to the mysteries of the kingdom of God. We're going to go through many, many uh, parables about the mysteries of the kingdom. So mysteries are not given to rejectors, only those seeking the truth. The nation, listen, remember this, the nation has rejected Messiah their fate has been sealed. They will go through the tribulation. Now, you know that you've been here through the study of Daniel. That's the 70th week of Daniel. That's the 70th week. The 69th week, time was cut off when they rejected Messiah. Now they're put on hold. The nation of Israel is put on hold. Now we come into the church age. The church age is what we are living in now. I believe that when the church is extracted... And we call that the rapture of the church. And I'm going for a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Not mid-trib, not post-trib, not whatever other people want. To, they're good people that believe in these. I'm not impugning them. But my, I'm cheering 
for a pre-tribulation rapture, and I believe that's what the Scripture reveals, at least to me. So with that, so the nation of Israel now have to go through the tribulation period. Now watch what Jesus says about this time, which is unprecedented in, in the history of the world. In Matthew 24, 21, he says this, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. No other time will be like the tribulation period. When you think about the Holocaust, when you think about all the atrocities that humans have perpetrated on humans, 30 million Chinese died when communism took over. 20 to 30 million Russians died when communism took over. It'll be nothing compared to the tribulation period. The Holocaust, there were 6 million that died. We know that two-thirds of the Jews will be deceived and follow the Antichrist, ultimately die. They won't make their exit to Petra. They won't make their exit to the, to the safe place. We know that one-third of the Jews will. How do we know that? Zechariah 12, 8. Two-thirds of the nation will be cut off and die. One-third shall be left. And then, Jesus, then God says this, I will bring one-third through the fire of the tribulation period. Now remember, you Bible students, what the Jewish people have to do for Messiah to come back. They have to plead for him to return, and they have to admit their national sin of rejecting Messiah. Now watch what Jesus says in Matthew 27, 23, 37 through 39. We have these words. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. The nation had prophet after prophet at the time of Isaiah, at the time of Jesus, that were, that were killed, mostly in the time of, of uh, Babylon, pre-Babylonian captivity and Assyrian captivity. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. That's intimacy. And watch what he says. And you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, destroyed, empty. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is what the Jewish people are going to do. And interestingly enough, you know from our teaching in Hosea 5.15, that it'll be at the very end of the tribulation period before these folks will finally say, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah and plead for him to return. So with that information, I have one other thing I want to talk to you about before I move on to the, to the teaching for today. I want to talk to you about the, the, the mysteries of the kingdom. Jesus is going to say many times in the, in the coming teaching, teachings, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And it, you must know that the kingdom of heaven is a physical kingdom. There will be a place where we'll be living as believers in that kingdom with ruling authority and that sort of thing, depending upon what you've done with Christ while you're here. There'll be rewards, loss of rewards, and I believe that'll transfer into what you'll be doing in the kingdom. But also, it has a spiritual aspect. It has a spiritual aspect. Luke 17, 21 says that Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. So the moment that you said yes to Jesus, you were forcefully extracted from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. How do we know that? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us he has delivered us, and you know I've mentioned this word many times. It was rumai is the word. 
That's forcefully extracted us. That's, that's violent extraction. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So you were immediately transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So you are living as believers in the Jesus Christ in the kingdom spiritually, but you will inhabit it physically someday, and we're hoping that soon, okay? So the setting of our teaching for today starts in verses 1 and 2. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into the boat and sat, and whole multitudes stood on the shore. Still multitudes that are following Jesus. So this is what we see. He's by the seashore. Multitudes are following him. He wants to make sure everyone can hear him loud and clear about these parables. And when you're on the sea, when you're on a lake, you know that the acoustics are perfect. Don't talk about your neighbor. Because, man, across the lake, it's coming through like a megaphone. So anyway... But remember, Jesus. now Jesus' day started in 12.1. And all the things that you see from 12.1 to this point have occurred. Now Jesus is now finishing up his day talking to the multitudes. He's going to give four parables while he's in this boat. And we're going to hear the parable of the sower of the soils, depends on how you look at it. We're going to see the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed and the leaven. Those will be coming in the future. He will speak one after another. There'll be no interruptions in his speaking to the people in parables on these four, in these four areas. Now, verses 3 through 9, the parable facts will be stated. I'm not going to read this because we'll read it again in just a few minutes. But you need to know that the sower is the farmer. Some uh, people think it's Jesus or God or that sort of thing, who sows seed which falls on four different types of soil. Now, this will be a time to hear. This is time to listen if you're going to get this talk. When I say soil, you think heart. What is my heart like? What is my, so, what is my heart like? So when I say soil, you think heart. Now, so you talked about the seed that falls on the wayside, stony places, thorns, and good ground. And again, that'll be elaborated on in just a moment. Verse 10 through 13, the disciples want to know something. Jesus is changing the picture here. He's changing what he's doing. And they have a something going through them that happens to each one of us is what's going on, Jesus? What's going on, Jesus? What's this change that's going on? So verses 10 through 13, we'll read. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Again, this is a big change. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because, watch this, seeing they do not see. They had the opportunity. Seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear. They refuse Messiah. They refused all the signs and wonders that Jesus did. They stiff-armed him and stiff-armed him and stiff-armed him. Says, we don't want you this way, Jesus. We want you the conquering king, Messiah. We don't want the suffering servant. They needed a savior before they needed a king. That's what they needed. So, the disciples are confused. 
Why parables? What's going on, Jesus? Okay? With that, I want you to think about something. Have you ever been able to be, have the same feelings that these disciples had? What are you doing, Jesus? What is this all about? Why now, and what in the world is going on in my life? You've wondered that, and I had a little picture here to help you with it, and it's the next picture, and it will be, oh, here it goes, why God? And you've looked out here in this sea, and you're contemplating why in the world did this happen, what's going on, and folks, that can be a faith challenger, a faith challenger. As you know by now, we will never know the whys of life. We've taught this over and over. The cure for the whys of life is this, simply trust. Remember Richard Farmer, he had a great saying, I will trust in the Lord until I die. That's right. Abraham was called out of Ur the Chaldeans. He was a, he was a moon god worshiper, and the true God revealed himself to him and says, by the way, Abraham, you have this uptight, uptown life, and you got it great in Ur the Chaldeans, but guess what? You're going to live in tents in the desert for the rest of your life. Go tell Sarah. Go tell. We're going, we're going on a camp trip for the rest of our lives in a wilderness that we know nothing about. But Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation, and from the Jewish nation came Messiah. He didn't know what was going on. He must have wondered why. How about Joseph when he was thrown into Potiphar's prison and left there for two years? He was wondering why is he there. He did everything right when you know the story. And how about Job who lost everything, everything. He didn't know what was going on. He, must have, he did wonder why was going on. And he has discussions with God. And he discovers that God is in charge. And he learned to trust God no matter what. He never knew what was going on behind the scenes. We know it was this dialogue with Satan. He didn't know that. He came out of that trusting God no matter what. The disciples are confused. Jesus is changing his methodology. The rejectors are not going to be able to hear. Now, he's going to give more clarification on this in verses 14 and 15, going back to Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a pre-exilic prophet. He, he's prophesied before the nation went into captivity, warning over and over and over, turn and live, turn and live. Don't stay on the same course. Don't stay on the same course. So verse 14 and 15, this is what God says through the prophet Isaiah. And in the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Now, remember, the nation has rejected God. They've embraced the gods of the world, and they're going to be going into captivity. They have judicial hardening that's going to be put on the nation. Not understand, they will not understand, and seeing you will not you, you seeing you will and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. It's on the people. Their ears are hard of hearing. It's on the people. Their eyes they have closed that they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. God has says to the nation, enough, no more, no more. You have killed the prophets. You have stoned those who have been sent to you. You have rejected and rejected, and now the wrath of God will be played out in Babylonian captivity. Now, I want you to take a journey with me. Well, you don't have to take the journey with me. It's 
because I'm going to get there right now, Isaiah chapter 1, and watch what it says here. The state of the nation. Now, you know where you're living today. You know how your nation has changed today. You have seen abrupt changes in the last 15 years that have been unprecedented in the history of this country. It's been going down slowly, but it hit a cliff. We've gone like this. We're up here. It's gone down. It's been over time. And then we hit a cliff, boom, where we've officially kicked God out of the country. There's a party that has actually done this. We don't want God in our platform whatsoever. Think about that as I read the state of the nation then. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers. Now, this is the nation that God had called out of all the world to be his chosen. This is the bride. This is the wife of Jehovah. This relationship that God has with Israel. Children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. Now, in verse 10, he's speaking to Jerusalem and he uses this language. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. That's what was Jerusalem was like, like Sodom. Give ear to the law of your God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? And he says, all your stuff, all these sacrifices that you made mean nothing to me now. And in verse 15, he makes these words. Because the nation has reached the point of no return. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Now, when I say your hands are full of blood, go forward 2,500 years or so from Isaiah. When you think full of blood, what do you think? I think 65 million babies slaughtered on the altar of convenience abortion in America. It's a tragedy. God will not wink at that. He will not close his eyes. He sees what is going on. He sees what is going on. But notice the heart of God. Even in the midst of a nation that is just running away from him, he says to his people, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away your evil doings, cease to do evil, do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead the cause of the, of the widow. Come and let us reason together, says the Lord. Your sins be as scarlet, they be as white as snow. He's crying, turn, turn, turn. And I think he's crying to our country, turn, turn, turn. I think he's crying to the church in America who has bought in to the rhetoric of the nation. Turn, turn. Don't keep going in this direction. Don't keep going in this direction. Now, Deuteronomy 28, 28 would be a good memory verse for you. It says this. This is a warning about a nation that turns, specifically for the nation of Israel. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. When you look today at what's going on at our country that was established on Judeo-Christian ethics, you look and you tell me you don't see this. Madness blindness and confusion of heart and as isaiah said in isaiah chapter 5 calling evil good and good evil folks there is a point when a nation has reached the point of no return if you have a question to where we're at look at romans chapter 1 where god gives them over god gives them over god gives them over 
I believe, now this is not popular, this won't get you points, this will not make you a mega church or anything like that, but I believe that America is past the point of no return. And what we are experiencing today is judicial hardening by God with the leaders that have been, been put into place that are anti-God. Look at your mayors. Look at the governors that are in our country. Look at the city councils that allow this stuff to go on, the lawlessness. This is not, this is not natural. This is not normal. This isn't the way the world functions. But now they have madness. Their, their hearts have been, been just absolutely distorted. Now, there are a few... Well, I actually I skipped something, didn't I? I got on a rant. Verse 16 and 17. Blessed, I got to get back to reality here. Blessed are those who hear. Blessed are those who hear. I can't skip this, so, because there's a blessing. For we who hear. But blessed are your eyes, for you see and your ears, for they hear. Remember, it's on the person. It's on the person. They could have seen, they could have heard, they rejected. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, Messiah, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The Old Testament prophets longed for this one who was coming. They didn't know exactly who he was. They didn't have full revelation of him, but someone's coming. Someone's coming. They longed for this day. These guys are seeing it. The nation rejected it. He was right there showing him he's the Messiah. Showing that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, hear this. There were a few then who would hear and see. There are a few now who will hear and see. There are a few not swept up in the world and its ways who will see and hear and follow Jesus. I'm talking about the real Jesus. I'm not talking about the made up Jesus. I'm not talking about the pretend Jesus. I'm talking about the real Jesus that's as outlined in Scripture, who will believe and receive the truth of God, there are a few, there are a remnant. Now, how do I know that just a few are going to come into the family of God? Now, we know in the tribulation period, Revelation chapter 7, there's a great harvest. The greatest in the history of the world will happen then. But we'll be gone. That's the tribulation. That's at least the way I, I see it. Now, Matthew seven thirteen says this. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go in by it. And narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There is a remnant, and it's going to be more of a remnant as we get closer to the end. Because the Laodicean church is right on the rise. We're rich, we're great, we're wonderful, and Jesus says you're wretched, poor, empty, useless. In 18 through 23, we get to the parable. Da, 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 da. Okay, this is, the, now this is the part we have to get. Not that you didn't have to get the other stuff, but this, this is where you the focus. But blessed are your eyes, for they see and hear, verse 18, excuse me, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, the kingdom is the focus, kingdom is the focus, and does not understand it, then the wicked one, Satan, comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. That is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution rises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who has received the word in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces a hundred, some 60 and some 30. Now this is, he's given an explanation here. So let's see if we can glean what Jesus has for us here. Now, again, the disciples are confused. They want to know what this whole parable is about. And he's going to tell them in Mark 4, 13, he says this. Do you not understand the parable? How then will you understand all the parables, the rest of the parables? We must get this parable right to have an, indica- to have an inclination, any inclination of what he's talking about in the future parables. This parable is about the condition of the soil. When I say soil, you think heart. Oh, good job. Way to be. You, listening. Some, yes. That's so encouraging. Yes. So is the soil receptive? Is the heart receptive to the kingdom offer or not? So the sower. Who is the sower? The person who gives the word. Now we know in Matthew 13, 37, if you read ahead a little bit, that the sower is the son of man, at least in the, in the parable of the wheat and the tares. In Mark 4.14, 4, the sower sows the word. So whoever's sowing the word could be the son of man or anybody giving the word, that's a sower. The seed, in Luke 8.11, 8, we see the seed is the word of God. Very specific, very clear what the seed is. The soil, the soil is the condition of the heart at the time of hearing the word. Matthew 13.19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes, snatches it away, what was sown in his heart, sown in his soil. So the seed, the word that is sown, will land on four types of soils. Now I have a little picture here for you to hopefully help you remember this. So a little picture will come up. Now this is the sower. On the wayside, birds are eating it. Nothing can generate here. It's a path. It's downtrodden. It's, it's like concrete. Then, then, it's, then, it's the, then it's the thorns. No, it's the stony soil. And then it's the thorns. And then it's the good soil. And each one of these will have a different type of production. And we'll elucidate that in just a second. So the wayside, as I said, is the word sown on a hard path. In Jesus' day, it was a narrow path. People traveled on it all the time. And if you've ever had a path that you walked on, nothing's growing on the path. It's hard. The seed cannot germinate. Hard soil represents hard hearts. Want the world, not the word. Now, a key point here that you do, do not want to miss is verse 19. The wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Now, Luke 8.12 says this, the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Now, watch this. Lest they should believe and be saved. The word was necessary for salvation. Satan does not want people to hear the word. He'll do anything for you not to hear the word. Now, look at your life. Look at how many distractions you get when you get ready to do your Bible study. Before you know it, you're thinking about the bird that just flew across the window. 
Oh, look at he's fluttering. The hummingbird, he came again. And you're distracted, distracted. It happens all the time. All the time. Tells us something about Satan's strategy. Satan is afraid of what the word can produce in any person. Salvation. And this tells me that all men are savable. Satan wouldn't spend so much time not trying to take the word away if all mankind were not savable. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you ready? You should get an A on this. It should be an A. What has happened to the, to the word of God in most American or Western churches? What has happened? It's disappeared. It's absent. It's absent. It's de-emphasized at best. Why? Because the people have determined that it's boring. It's so boring. You mean we're going to read the Bible? I can't get anything out of that. And they drag that that out, you know. And what has it been replaced with? Now, some of these things are not bad, but drama, mimes, spiritual readings, giant big big band worship. Nothing, nothing wrong with worship, but some of this is really out of, out of kilter. Pep talks on how great you are. Words of affirmation for the people. No challenge from the word of God to make you feel good. The result has been deception that has come in to the church globally. And it has really permeated the majority of churches in America. It really has. It's so sad. It is so sad. Satan's strategy has been successful. And what do people focus on today? What do churches focus on today? Nickels and noses. Money and numbers. Money and numbers. Not growth. Not being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Not being challenged with sin. That transformed minds is what's going to entertain the people to get them in and give great applause to the performance that's going on. That's what we see predominantly in our country today. Now, I'm glad you don't have tomatoes that you can throw, but that's the way I see it. That's the way I see it. No deception. Now, Satan's strategy has been successful. I think that it's been, been gobbled up by the people in our country today. Jeremiah the prophet has a word of warning that I think is applicable today. It sounds eerily familiar. Watch Jeremiah 5.31. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet speaking the truth to the nation. This is what's going to happen. And it was awful. The king hated him. The people hated him. The false prophets hated him. The false prophets would say, everything's great and wonderful. We're going to have a great comeback here. Nebuchadnezzar's not coming. We're going to be wealthy. God's going to bless us. And Jeremiah says, no, you've turned away from the living God, repent. And they did not do it. And this was the state of the nation. The prophets prophesy falsely. They were telling the people what the people wanted to hear. They had their ears tickled. And the priest ruled by their own power. It's power, control, and money. And, my, and this is the most tragic part. And my people love to have it, so they're all in on this. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 tells us this. The time will come, Timothy, when they will not put up with sound teaching or sound doctrine. And they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. People will come and flock to hear what they want to hear. Your best life now health and wealth. You can have whatever you want. 
It's all about you. No, the church is about God and us serving God. There's a great benefit, a great benefit. We benefit immensely being the family of God, but it's, it's focus is on him. It's focus is on him. Let me say this loud and clear. To every pastor, to every true shepherd, to every Sunday school teacher, home group leader, wherever you're sharing the word of God, one-on-one discipleship, give them the God of the word to keep them from the gods of the world. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> give them the God of the word to keep them from the gods of the world. That's from quote from Dave Rosales who stole it from somebody else. So, Okay, what about the stony soil? The word is sown, the soil is stony, rocky, there's no depth. This would be the shallow heart. Now this happens all the time. People get all pumped up, they go on a retreat or they go to you get, you get kids all every summer, they go to youth group and they get saved, and they go the next summer and they get saved, and I'm thinking, hold it, you get saved once, not 57 times. I mean, I, there's one real time. Shallow hearts. And this is what, why I picture this. It's give me a sugar dad Jesus. When he disappoints them, they bolt. They bolt. Notice this. They receive the word with joy but no root in himself. Is, does that cause you pause? Who are we rooted in? It's not self. It's not self. That's right. We're rooted in Christ. Colossians 2, 6. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith. When tribulation or persecution arises, because of the word, they immediately they stumble. Hear the word stumble. Is the word scandalon, scandalizio. It means to fall, ruin, to fall away. It comes from a word that is scandalon. The scandalon is a trigger in a trap. A trigger in a trap that the bait is placed and a person sticks their head in and wham, they get this. Boom. Scandalon. Fall away. I thought I was on the right track. I thought, and I took the bait of Satan. Boom. And that's what happens to us. Tragic. Tragic. Then there's the thorny soil. The word is sown. The word is sown. The soil is thorny. Some soil for seed. To, some, some soil for the seed to take root. There we go. This is the compromised, divided heart. Now, hear this. The soil is not the problem. It's what's around the soil, growing up around the soil. It's choking out the word. And it says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Becomes unfruitful. Now, folks, this gets into, you don't know if this guy's saved or not. The first two, I do not believe, are saved. Now, there are some people that do believe that. I don't. I believe that this, is, this third group gets more confusing. Outwardly, they worship God, and they worship the world, and it looks like they're torn between two lovers. Not abiding in Christ, always doubting, frequently their life is in turmoil, choked and miserable. Choked and miserable. Some believe that this is a picture of the carnal Christian. Never experienced the victorious, abundant, joyful Christian life. The faith-filled life. Now, only God knows if someone is genuine. 
I think there's a lot of phony baloney people out there that think they're in that they are not in. And the carnal Christian never really knows for sure if they're in. They're living in such a way that people that are watching them or living with them can't tell, and they wonder. Although some of them might delude themselves into thinking, I'm cool, I'm great, I'm wonderful, I'm, I'm in. They don't know that they're in because of the way they're living. My personal belief, whatever that's worth, about a nickel, is the first two soils are not genuine and the last two are. But the thorny is carnal. Carnal. Now, I want to suggest something to you. This carnal Christianity is something that has come more into vogue as the culture has become more wealthy and independent of God. You will not see a carnal Christian. I do not believe that you will see many carnal Christians in Iran where the church is persecuted. I don't think you'll see many carnal Christians in Iraq or China where the church is persecuted. North Korea. Because there you're going to be all in. Because this word could get you killed. There's no carnal make-believe people. Then you have the good soil, the receptive heart. Saved and maturing, being conformed to the likeness of Christ. The good soil. Actively involved in the transformation process. You know you're being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Filled with the Holy Spirit. That means walking in the Spirit. Productive life. Fruitful Christians. And folks, there are a few. There are a few. In the, in the masses of the world, there are a few fruitful Christians. And then he says 30, 60, or 100 fold. Hey, we're all going to produce a different amount. Just be involved. Just get involved and produce and be the best you can. Your greatest for God's glory. We all have different gifts. All get a different measure of gift. Use your gifts. Some closing thoughts. Now, I want you to think about this. I don't know if you got saved the first time you heard the gospel. I would say that happens very, very infrequently. Most of the time it's a journey. So I look at this as a journey of faith. The hardened soil, I had a hardened soil. Somebody told me about Jesus. I thought they were crazy and alone. Born again, they use all this Christian vernacular. I'm going, what are you talking about? And then I kind of heard some other people and I, and I heard and I, and I believed I would be the shallow hearer, embrace it and then kind of fall away from it. And then this, I don't know about you, but I lived here a lot of years. The thorny soil, the divided heart, the compromised heart, torn between the world and Christ. I could put on a performance and you could look at me and think that I was the good soil. But I wasn't the good soil. I have things in my life that were problematic for me. I fooled everybody. I didn't fool God. And then what happened in my life is I got crushed. Like a lot of you got crushed. And there was a defining moment in my life when I said, no more. I'm going to be either all in or I'm not in this thing at all. I need Jesus more than I need anything in this world. And I got involved in a discipleship program. And, I got, and it changed my life. And from that time... That time for the last, oh gosh, I don't know how many years, several, it's a long time ago, <laughs> that I have every day started my day with the Word of God. I do not skip. I don't skip my meals. I don't skip the Word. 
that changed my life. Nothing before that did. All the promises, when I would read for two or three days at a time, and say, oh, I'm really getting into this thing. Day four would come, got a game coming. Can't fit it in tonight. I'm a little tired, a little sleepy. Then then I would skip. And and then before you know it's two or three days skip. No, that defining moment changed me. And it took a crushing, a crushing experience in my life for that to happen. And then finally, the good soil lives all out for Christ. Now, I want to give you a practical application here. I want you to know that this soils, I believe, are talking about salvation and the kingdom of God and coming into the kingdom and that sort of thing and different soils being prepared to hear and receive and become part of the kingdom. But I also want you to look at this in a different light, an application principle. Think about your daily soil, the condition of your heart, the condition of your heart. Now, Christian, this is for you. This is for you. How is your daily soil? Think about what your soil is like when you're ready to hear the word. Our daily soil can vary from moment to moment. We can have good soil ready to hear and receive, and we can be pretty nasty. None of us are fully engaged all in this thing all the time. It's the condition of our heart at the time of hearing that is important. Now, the question is this. What is the condition of my heart when I am receiving the word? Get your heart ready to receive the word. An unprepared heart is not ready to receive. The word may land on pitiful soil. Look, at any time the word is given, God has something for you. I don't care how boring the dude is. I don't care if you're checking out. And there is something in that talk that God will use specifically for you. It's different for everybody. Where you get, whoa, that hit me. And might I encourage you to not say, hey, did you hear that, dear? Did you, did you get that one, dear? No, it's for you. It's for you. Now, you can hope somebody else was here to hear it, but it's for you. Anytime, it can land on different soils. One person hears a talk, and it's the best thing since chip beef. I mean, it is great. It is terrific. I was just so moved by that. The next person, same talk, same atmosphere, same everything. It was pitiful. I mean, nothing moved me at all. It stunk. It was terrible. Wrong heart. Bad heart. Not ready to receive. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about your week. Sunday morning, you've been up late Sunday night. Excuse me, you're up late Saturday night. Thank you. (laughs) That wasn't even a Berean thing. That was just a Rescue Rick thing. Thank you. Yes, you're up late Saturday night. And you've watched some garbage, some questionable stuff that's going into your brain. You have problems getting the kids ready. You might have a few words with your spouse. Things just aren't going right. And then you come in the church and you are just, you know, you. but you get here and you put on the, what I call the phony baloney strut. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm cool. I'm great. How are you doing? Great, wonderful, terrific. And your insides are just, I don't want to be here. I have a bad attitude, a bad attitude. Now, thankfully, We have an emergency for you, an emergency treatment. It's called our worship time. That's what it is. It's to get us focused off of this world, off of the stuff we're coming out of, and on to God. Look at it that way. Please look at it that way. It's our rescue. It's our rescue in preparation to hear the word. So, 
Preparation always starts with our attitude. Our attitude. Our preparation to receive our attitude. Attitude check. If my attitude stinks, ask God, first of all, to forgive you. And then refocus and be ready to receive. Now remember, you're coming here to receive from God something for you specifically. Specifically. Then the next thing is, Turn the rationalization button off. What do I mean by that? I deserve my feelings. He ticked me off. She ticked me off. Those kids were just a mess. And I can rationalize my feelings. No, turn it off. No excuse time. No blame time. No projecting onto someone else. Turn off rationalization and prepare your heart to hear from God and receive the word of God. And how about this one? The critical spirit button. A critical spirit is the death knell. They're all kind of the same. For hearing from God. All I can hear in my mind is criticism. I can't believe they haven't got more air conditioners in here. It's so hot. And that's all I can think of. Or it's too cold in here. Or he's talking too long. It's too loud. It's too soft. It's this. It's that. Critical spirit. And then finally, I would ask you to do this, a soul fix. Fix your soul, your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Your soul gets fixed on God, not on your problems. Look, we're coming out of a week, a week of problems, a week of your life. Distracted souls cannot hear. If I'm thinking about my work, my kids, my health, if I'm thinking about how my stock... The stock market taking a plummet. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm on a fixed income here. Where's this thing going to land? You know, you can get on this stuff, a free fall. How about food shortages? That's being pumped at us. The new world order, lawlessness. And then what about Governor Whitmer? What is she going to do? What's President Biden going to do? And what is Trump going to say next? And I'm just, my soul is just occupied with this stuff. And I come into church and I'm distracted and my soul... Folks, this is a picture of what a lot of us look like. I mean, we got all this stuff going on. This guy is not ready to receive from God. He is distracted. And folks, this is right where Satan wants you. Fully, completely distracted. Distracted. Prepare to receive. Prepare to hear the word of God. So I will leave you with these questions. How is your kingdom soil? Hopefully you're born again. You're in the, in the family of God. How is your daily soil? Is it good or bad? How can I hear from God? You can enhance your chances of hearing from God by spending time with God and what I call getting in the spirit. And I would urge you, if at all possible, do that before you come to church. Do that before you get ready to receive the word. There are no shortcuts and there are no easy outs. There's no cliff notes that you can take to make this easy. You must get in the spirit. Simply spend time with the one who can change your heart. And remember, after all, it is about your soil, your heart, in preparation to receive the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. and. Thank you for these wonderful Bible students that are so patient and they actually listen and just thank you for them. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do speak to our hearts. We know that you do. 
You illuminate your word. You press it on each one of us. Something in every talk hits home. And so, Lord, today I pray that you will have spoken to each one of us. I know that I prepared this thing, and you've spoken tons to me. And I say thank you, Lord. I don't want to stay the same. I don't want to just coast. I want to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. The only way I can do that is to hear and receive what you have for me in your word. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.